0: Then explain to me why. Bobby Parks' wife is in witness protection, and she testifies before the organized crime commission that she overheard a conversation between her husband and her husband's brother that he went to kill a guy, and the guy's family walked in on him, and he killed the guy's family. What other case is that? There's only one case like that in, what, 40, 50 years in Youngstown? And that's the Marsh killing.
1: You're listening to an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company.
2: Hello, everybody. My name is Johnny Ciccatelli, and welcome to a special edition of Youngstown Mob Talk. Today's episode is a continuation of a special investigation that I've been conducting into a brutal murder case from the 1970s, uh, The Marsh Murders. Now, if you haven't already, please check out um, previous episodes we've done on this investigation, um, starting with an episode I did with author Gary Bonnell. Um, Great episode, gives a lot of background into the Marsh Murders. Gary actually wrote a book called Truth Not Deception that details the whole thing. He worked at the GM Lordstown plant with Benjamin Marsh, and um, had a lot of insight into this case, uh, including the trial transcripts from the eventual trial that took place many years later. So again, please watch that episode. It's on YouTube, or you can listen to it on Apple and Spotify or iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Youngstown Mob Talk, um, the episode with Gary Bonnell. So definitely check that out, and also um, check out part two of the investigation we did uh, jimmy naples and i did a whole breakdown of bobby parks now bobby parks was a hitman for hire in the youngstown area um, the 60s and the 70s so definitely check that episode out because that's it all links together and it leads into today's episode um, today's episode i'll give you a quick recap of the marsh murders and where we're at in the investigation to this point um, in 1974 uh, Benjamin Marsh was a nighttime security guard. He was the overnight security guard at the General Motors Lordstown plant. Um, this was a you know huge uh, plant that ran for many years just outside of Youngstown in a in a uh, uh, township called Lordstown, and this was a big employer in this area. I believe uh, at this time in the seventies, thirteen thousand people. Um, they made you know different cars, different. Um, Parts, all that stuff at this big plant out there that was owned by General Motors. Now, Benjamin Marsh, being the, the security guard, ended up discovering that there were drugs being run out of General Motors. Um, Gary Bonnell, in our previous episode, discusses how um, Benjamin found cocaine um, being shipped out of the vans that were being made at that time at the plant. And Benjamin then brought these drugs to his superiors, um, continued a kind of an investigation into this, and eventually became uh, an, infor- uh, an informant for law enforcement. Um, he was to testify before a grand jury on the matter. Um, there was also other you know, criminal activity that he was uh, testifying to that was taking place at the, the General Motors plant. And unfortunately for, for everyone involved in this, um, the powers that be did not want this trial to go forth, so a hitman was hired to kill Benjamin Marsh. Now, um, the killing actually occurred in his Canfield Township home while he was sleeping. He came home one morning after work. He went to bed, um, and he was all alone. That's when the killer broke into his garage, um, broke in. From a, a window on the outside of the, the garage door um, ended up walking through the garage, kicked in the door to the kitchen, the house, uh, walks into the house, finds Benjamin Marsh sleeping in his bed, and proceeds to murder him. He shoots him a few times and pretty pretty vicious stuff. Um, it was during this killing when Benjamin marsh's family actually returned home. his wife uh, Marilyn took their two young children. She had an infant son named Christopher and a four year old daughter named Heather. Well, the killer proceeds to shoot and kill Marilyn Marsh, uh, Ben's wife, and then very heinously um, kills young Heather Marsh as well. Actually, you know, beat her with the butt of the gun. Um, he did not harm the baby. The killer did not kill the baby or harm the baby at all. He actually left. The poor child was uh, left you know, for hours and hours crawl around in, a, in, in, in the crime scene, in the blood in the crime scene. It's really tragic, horrific stuff. Um, so an investigation was held by local law enforcement. At the time, uh, an investigator from the Sheriff's Department, the Mahoney County Sheriff's Department, um, named Ed Nemeth, was in charge. He had a lead suspect named Bobby Parks and we have his whole case file his whole investigation he really believed it was bobby parks that was behind this um, he had different evidence to believe that or leads i should say to point him in that direction um, at one point he ends up doing a sting operation because they created uh, and when i say they nemeth ed nemeth also partnered with um the gm security team to investigate this which I. I found it a little odd. I didn't expect a um, police force to you know, really team up with a private corporation security team to do this murder. You would think it would be, especially by today's standards, um, uh, just, just the law enforcement, strictly law enforcement. Back then, uh, Ed Nemeth was uh, with a guy named uh, McIntosh, Wayne McIntosh, from General Motors. And they were kind of doing this joint investigation into the killings of Ben Marsh and his family. So they ended up developing a few leads and they they had um someone who was providing kind of witness statements. They didn't see the crime but they had heard some things and this was all in a file that Mr. Mcintosh kept. Well, he got a tip that someone was going to steal his file. They were actually going to steal this this um police file. So with the witness name on it. Well, he confers with Ed Nemeth, and they actually came up with a good plan, which was to create a dummy file, and where on this file they put on a fake name of a fictitious witness, and they said that this person was staying at the Penn Ohio Hotel, and that he was out here, you know, being kind of um, sequestered, you would say, before um, there could be a trial or you know a grand jury. So this dummy file was kept in Mr. McIntosh's car on the General, Motor, the General Motors Lordstown plant parking lot. And sure enough, that car was broken into and that dummy file was stolen. So now Nemeth has to be thinking, okay, this plan is working. We can do a sting operation here. So Nemeth actually goes to the hotel and pretends to be this fake witness. He's staying in a room at the hotel. It's being guarded by other sheriff's deputies. And for a couple days, Nemeth is at this hotel and nothing happens. Well, I believe it was on the third day, um, he gets a phone call. And there's a man breathing heavily on the other end. And he kind of just tells him, don't go anywhere. Well, sure enough, that's the sign. uh, Something's going to happen. So the police are all guarding it. They're all watching. Three men show up to this hotel room, and they knock on the door. Uh, As soon as Ed Nemeth opens the door, the other officers jump out, and they arrest these three men. Now, the three men arrested were Bobby Parks, his brother Paul Parks, and an associate of theirs named Ed Ferris, who was a former sheriff's deputy turned criminal figure who... Would later come up in a lot of other cases and investigations, um, be they murders and burglaries and everything. These were, you know, three bad guys here. Bobby Parks was a hitman for hire. And again, if you haven't watched our previous episode, we do a whole breakdown of who Bobby Parks was. Um, you know, really kind of a sociopath and just a, a professional killer. He actually had business cards that said "Have gun, will travel." Um, so he was a professional killer. And anyways, these three guys are arrested at this hotel. Um, This would have been early 1975 during the the initial investigation. Um, No charges are ever brought. Their lawyer, uh, at the time a very famous lawyer in town, uh, Mr. Carmen Policy, who would go on to become president of the the 49ers and the Cleveland Browns and had a very successful career uh, as an NFL executive. Time he was a lawyer, a defense lawyer in Youngstown. He represented some guys like um, local mob boss Joey Naples, uh, some other folks as well. You know, he was a very prominent, prominent lawyer. Um, he shows up and gets these guys. You know, basically says if you're not charging these guys with a crime, they they they're free to go. So Bobby Parks, Paul Parks, and Ed Ferris walk out of there that day, and no charges are ever brought. Um, they said that in the in the official report, it said, "Well, they were unarmed, so they had no reason to hold them." Well, years later, we ended up uh, talking with uh, a retired now police police officer from the Salem Police Department, um, Talbert, Dave Talbert, and Talbert's father uh, was a fence back in the nineteen seventies who was actually killed by Bobby Parks. So Dave Talbert has been investigating. Um, Bobby Parks for years and years and talked to Ed Nemeth. His brother, him and his brother had been investigating their father's murder. Um, Talbert's brother actually talked to Ed Nemeth um, years ago. Well, you know, Ed Nemeth has long since died, but this would have been, you know, maybe 20 years ago or so. Um, Dave Talbert's brother talked to Ed Nemeth and asked him about that night that. Bobby Parks showed up to the hotel. Well, what's interesting is Ed Nemeth told him something that's not in the report. Ed Nemeth told him that he had a sawed-off shotgun. Bobby Parks had a trench coat on with a sawed-off shotgun underneath. So there's no doubt in my mind they were coming to kill that witness. Well, unfortunately, no charges were ever brought against Bobby Parks, and the case went cold. Now in 2009... 35 years after these brutal killings took place, some cold case detectives with the Mahoning County Sheriff's Office got a break in the case. They told the media that, on a hunch, they ran the prints retrieved from the crime scene through their law enforcement database, and one came back matching James Ferrara. Through my own investigation and after talking with Ferrara, I think it may have been more than a hunch. Ferrara believes that a man named Joseph Perry Sr. gave them his name as a lead to get a lighter sentence in a case that he was involved with at that same time, uh, 2008-2009. The reason I think this theory may be true is because Joseph Perry Sr. had been accused of a serious crime, kidnapping and assault, And the prosecutor's office was only recommending 30 days in jail. Now, he ended up doing a year, but I also found in my investigation that Joseph Perry was on the witness list in Ferrara's trial as a witness for the prosecution, though he was never called to testify. So the end result was that the detectives would go on to investigate James Ferrara who was already serving a life sentence. He had worked at General Motors um, in the 70s. He was serving a life sentence for the murder of two men in Columbus, which was a drug uh, robbery gone wrong. Um, Ferrara talked with uh, some, uh, another person, a GM. They brought Ferrara on as muscle They went down to Columbus. The plan was to rob two drug dealers of a large amount of cocaine. Ferrara brought a gun. They walked into this this room, um, tried to rob these guys. A fight ended up ensuing, and Ferrara, using his own words, shot his way out. Um, These guys were quickly caught. This was uh, James Ferrara, Mark Jennings, and a gentleman named Joey Weeks. These guys were all caught, and Ferrara admitted it. They all pled guilty. Ferrara said, you know, I shot my way out. And um, he was given a life sentence with um, the opportunity for parole after 20 years. So I say that because now, just to give you a little background, you have a guy who's in prison um, for killing two people. He had worked at GM. He was never a a suspect in the initial investigation into the Marsh case. His name um, had never come up and this was just never regarded as a suspect in the case Uh, james ferrara was a vietnam veteran Um, i've done a lot of personal background information uh, investigation on him followed leads followed people he that worked with him that knew him um, people from his personal life as well and they all told me the same thing they all said james ferrara never got in any trouble until that stuff that happened in columbus so you know James was, uh, as, as I mentioned, a Vietnam veteran, um, but no signs of any any criminal background in his adult life. Um, I think he had been uh, had a, a charge of uh, burglary, tolls, or something when he was a teenager in Michigan, but um, it never went to trial or anything like that. So he he never really had a criminal background at all, and claims to this day that he. Did not kill the Marsh family, that he was not there, and that um, these charges were false against him. And eventually the conviction against him was false. So he was tried in uh 2013, um, s- several years after they initially got this tip that you know he was involved. Um they ran his fingerprints and They said that they matched a fingerprint of his um, from when they, you know, back from the actual crime uh, scene at the Marsh house in Canfield. They said that they found one of his fingerprints outside the door, the garage door. Um, Lots of evidence was found inside the house, cigarette butts, other fingerprints, um, stuff that could probably be tested for DNA today if, if they Kept the evidence I'm not sure but there's a lot of things they found in the house none of it um, ever led back to Ferrara there was no there's no evidence at all that he was ever in that house uh, yet alone that he killed those people so I tell you all that to bring you back to the to the murder scene now the killers in the house he kills Benjamin Marsh the family comes home he kills them he leaves the baby but he actually took Mrs. Marsh's car, took her car from the garage and drove it to a nearby township, Austin Township, and left it in the parking lot of a Kmart. So whoever killed them must have been dropped off um, at this house because it was winter time, it was snow, there was snow outside, um, and it would have been too remote to walk to. So somebody brought the killer there Um, somebody you know that's why they they took the car and they left so by 2013 james ferrara is finally charged officially and brought back to mahoning county to stand trial Um, that's where things get a little bit interesting as well Um, during the the actual trial he the whole time has maintained his innocence he pleaded not guilty um, says he never did these things but they had a fingerprint from outside the door, largely as their only evidence in this whole case. Then, during the trial, um, somebody actually comes onto the witness stand and uh, offers testimony for the prosecution that it was a relatively young new sheriff's deputy who um, had just finished training his training and was, you know, working as a guard at the Mahoney County Jail when he says. That Ferrara randomly approached him, and somehow knew that he had uh, just finished his training courses, and so he starts talking to him about weapons and about guns. <clears throat> According to this deputy, Ferrara just offered up the information of uh, that he liked to use thirty eight specials, .38 uh, caliber revolver, because they didn't leave any shells. That's what. This deputy testified to on the stand um, saying that Ferrara said this to him completely unprovoked at you know just offered up this information and uh, you know basically incriminated himself almost so um, there a report was made by a um, detective Mondora and that that took the information from this this deputy and that that was ended up used as evidence in the trial. So that statement along with a fingerprint found outside the door was largely the only evidence brought, brought up in the trial and used against Ferrara. Now at the end of the trial, and you can read these transcripts too, by the way, at TruthNotDeception.com. Uh, author, Gary Bonnell has actually put all of this stuff up for download. You can check it out yourselves. And, uh, it's all out there, so you can read everything here that I'm that I'm kind of summarizing. But at the very end of the trial, uh, the prosecutor had their closing arguments. Uh, the defense presented their closing arguments, and the prosecution had uh, a final rebuttal—the last thing that they were that they said before um, the case went to the jury. In those final rebuttal statements. Um, the prosecutors said something that was just not true. They said that James Ferrara killed the Marshes and then took their car and drove it to the the Kmart parking lot in Austintown and left it there because he lived very close by in an apartment in Austintown. Well, this was 1974. And... I've since gone back and and have looked in the library records. Um, we've also had a private investigator do the same thing, go through files and find uh, where Ferrara lived at that time. Jim says that he didn't live in Austintown until 1976. Um, at the time, he was living um, closer to Warren and, and closer to uh, his job at Lordstown. He was staying, um, I believe it was a Dolly Madison motel, and also an apartment complex in Warren. Now, there's records that are out there from the 70s that show where people lived, and they had their address. And sure enough, and, and these records go every other year, but they they show that he lived in these places in Warren, and, and you know, he was staying at that hotel. He didn't move into the apartment in Town until 1976. So that statement that was brought up at the very end of the trial, the last thing the jury heard was that this guy, you know, killed these people, brought this car to a parking lot nearby his house, and he just walked home. Well, we, we later showed that was not true in our investigation. So, again, these are all the things that the jury took with them, and you've got a guy who's a convicted killer. He's already serving a life sentence. Um, you know, he worked at GM. Uh, they said they had a fingerprint outside the house. Um, these other statements that were made, the the statement supposedly by that he brought that he said to the guard about you know his weapon of choice. Um and now this last element that was brought up by the prosecution that showed, oh, okay, he that there's an explanation as to why they just left the car at this random parking lot and then he walked to his apartment. So that was everything used, and you can see, you know, a jury they found him guilty. They found James Ferrar guilty. Um James I've talked to him a lot now over the last year. Um, I've kept an open mind. I try to say, okay, I don't know if he's innocent. I don't know if he's guilty. I'm talking with him, um, trying to decipher, you know, what's the truth? Is he telling me the truth? Uh, everything he's told me, I've independently verified. So, as far as his background and who he was, what kind of person he was, the fact that he never wavered in his in his maintaining his innocence. Um, this is a guy, again, who did plead guilty to shooting those two guys in Columbus uh, in that drug deal gone, gone bad, denied this case from day one. So it was compelling, but I said, you know what, there's one thing to talk to this guy on the phone. Um, it's another to look him in the eyes when you talk to him. So I filed a request with Marion Correctional Institute, the prison down there, and they let me come down and they let me bring a camera. And what you're going to hear now is an interview I did with, with James Ferrara. Um, this was after, of course, and I'm leaving a big part out here um, that we talked about in our previous episode, the Bobby Parks episode. Um, during some of my investigation, I was actually given documents from an organized crime task force uh, from the early 2000s. And in that, that ream of paperwork that I got, in their, their investigations from this task force, they were investigating the, the murder of Rob Talbert, a uh, gentleman I mentioned earlier, who was a fence for some mafia-related figures and some crime figures in the 70s. Well, during their investigation, they went to these investigators, these de- detectives from Akron and Copley and other, other departments far from Youngstown, um, because this organized crime task force didn't trust Youngstown officers they didn't know who was involved in what so this task force comprised of officers from outside of mahoning county Uh, these officers then go these detectives go all the way to california and talk to bobby parks's ex-wife elizabeth parks who at the time was in witness protection program she moved out to california after she testified against her husband um in you know another murder case. Uh, from the, ni- the 1970s, the late 1970s. And in that case, her testimony really brought him down and put him away for life. He had, he had killed a, um, he was hired to kill a doctor uh, here locally and the doctor's wife, his new wife, um, he ended up shooting the doctor, wounding him, killed the, the new wife and also killed one of the doctor's nurses. Um, and he ended up going to prison serving two life sentences for that crime. Um, Bobby Parks eventually died in prison, but his ex-wife, Liz Parks, she was the one who really put him away because her testimony was damning. The things she said that, that he admitted to her, that he openly talked about, he's, a lot of these murders. Well, during this, this organized crime task force investigation in the 2000s, they go to California and they ask her at one point, did Bobby ever talk about any other murders? Did you ever hear any, about any other murders? And she says, yeah, there was actually one where he talked about killing this, this guy because of his job. He was hired to kill a guy because of the guy's job. She didn't know what the job was, but she said that, that much. And then she also said that he admitted that when, after he killed this guy, the guy's family came home, and that he killed the wife, and that he killed the little girl. And she even knew that he beat her with the butt of the gun. Liz Parks tells these detectives this. And at the time, you have to keep in mind, they're not investigating the Marsh case. That was not one of the cases they were openly investigating. So they didn't really have the background information on that case. But they did ask one follow-up question. They said, what year was this that you heard Bobby talk about this this murder? And she said it was 1976 that she heard Bobby Teller talk about that Marsh killing. Well, of course, you look back at the cases locally and around here, that the Marsh killings are the only ones that fit that description. And they were in 1974, so the timeline works out. Now, in their investigation, in their interviews with Liz Parks, they moved on to other topics and other murders because they talked to her for hours and hours. But that part was never brought back up and, and nothing ever came of it. So fast forward to today, I've got all these files now given to me by a source of mine um, that worked on that task force. And I go through it and, you know, it was shocking when I came to that statement because I said, wow, that, that is the Marsh case. Now I start looking at that case. I picked up the book, Truth Not Deception, started researching it, started listening to all this. Um, James Ferrara, in that book, tells Gary Bonnell that he never had that conversation with the, the guard at the Mahoning County Jail. Um, according to Ferrara, the guard made it up and actually came up to him. This is all in, in Gary's book, but the guard actually came up to Ferrara after the trial And apologized and said he was put up to it to write that that report so you know if that's true and these other things are true then you've got an innocent man convicted of killing the marsh family you know it's shocking kind of what's out there when you follow these these leads and these crumbs but we have new evidence now you know liz parks's words which were enough to put bobby away life you know her she she's since died I've, i've found out that she's died during covid um just a few years ago but you know the sheriff's department has her interview they have a tape with her they have the transcript they have it all she says it right there um none of this was ever given to um james ferrara or his defense um so you know evidence here from that trial none of it was ever brought up in the trial or given to the jury so you know did they even know about the, the this interview you know did, did law enforcement know who knows at this point but i said you know what i'm gonna show this to jim to james ferrara as i mentioned before i talked to him several times on the phone but it's another thing entirely to look somebody in the eyes you know you don't know if somebody's lying it could be an expert liar, especially. A lot of criminals could be expert liars, and they're good at that. So I try to keep an open mind. And I say, okay, I don't. I'm not going in thinking that he did this. I'm not going in thinking that he didn't do it. I'm just coming here to present, you know, what I've what I found and what I have, and see what he says. One other thing to keep in mind is the morning of this interview, James actually had to have emergency dental surgery, and they removed several of his teeth, including some of his front teeth. So during this interview, he's got a swollen mouth. He's got, um, you know, he's in a lot of pain, actually. And, but it was too important for him. He didn't want to reschedule. He didn't want to delay this at all. He wanted to get this interview out there and get it, you know, out to the public. So, um, again, this is my interview with James Farrar. Uh, as clearly as you can, uh, please state your name, uh, your, your prison number, and your age.
0: All right. My name is Jim Ferrara, James Ferrara. My number is A177365. I'm 74 years old. Take me to,
2: you said you were convicted in 1983. Is that correct?
1: I believe so. What were you convicted of?
0: Murder. And what was your sentence? I was sentenced to uh, life imprisonment. What, uh, Parole eligibility in 20 years. That was my next question. Was
2: your eligibility for parole. Okay. So you've been in prison, uh, you said, since 1983. Right. And that was for, and we'll get into this later, but that was for um,
1: a crime that was committed in the Columbus area. Yes, sir. Okay. What happened
0: in 2009? In 2009... While I was here at Marion Correctional Institution, I was taken back to Mahoning County and questioned on a cold case from Mahoning
1: County. You were brought to Mahoning County for questioning.
2: hmm
1: Questioning
0: what? Questioning about a uh, murder case involving uh, Ben
1: Marsh and his family. And what did you think about when they started questioning you on this
0: case? Well, I was shocked that I was even brought down there. I didn't even know, I didn't know anything about that case. Uh, but I, I, I learned a lot about it because uh, they questioned me on camera, they questioned me extensively, and then after they were done, They took me through the jail, out the door, put me in a car, and drove the car to the front of the jail and took me out, took me back up into the detective's office and uh, questioned me again, took uh, took a DNA swab. And, uh, of course, they had fingerprinted me and palm-printed me numerous times while I was there.
1: Okay. Now, you worked at General Motors. Just tell me real quick, when did you work at General
0: Motors? I worked at General Motors. I started there November, uh, November 30th of 1970. Until when? Until, uh, 83.
2: So, you worked at General Motors at the same time that Benjamin Marsh worked there?
0: That's what I heard. I never knew Benjamin Marsh.
1: Did you... What did you know about Benjamin? You said you never heard of him at all? No,
0: I know that uh, from other people That he, and from the newspaper articles, I read that he was... Uh, a security guard who worked second shift. I worked second shift, but uh, I never met him. I worked pretty much throughout the whole plant. I was uh, I worked for the UAW. I was a union representative, so I represented a material department, and. That's line feeders and stockmen and tow motor drivers and anybody who put uh, stocked the lines, unloaded trucks, unloaded trains. So I, I went to the truck plant, I went to tri-level, I went through the whole uh, car plant, upstairs and downstairs, all the departments had some form of material that uh, people fed to the line that I represented, so I pretty much went everywhere. So, do you
1: remember when you heard that Marsh was murdered?
0: You know, not really. I remember them posting a composite picture of the person that killed Ben Marsh on the bulletin board in the uh, entranceway to General Motors. But as far as the details about the case, no. And since I didn't know him or his family, all I did was come to work every day. How many people worked at GM back then? Oh, 15,000. And could be more, but at least 15,000. Now, that's including the fab plant and the truck plant and the car plant. It was a big facility. It was a little city. I was a union rep. He was a security guard. Why would I have any contact with him? I mean, the the security guards that I... uh, I came in contact with the guys who were stationed at the time machines where you clocked in and clocked out, or the front door. So if they wanted to see what was in my briefcase, you know, they weren't allowed to. I had a union sticker on it. But I don't care. I showed it to them anyway. I didn't have nothing to conceal.
1: Yeah. What did you hear happened to the Marshes? Did you hear anybody talking about it at, at the
0: plant? Well, I guess it happened around the Christmas time, and uh, there was some conversations after we all got back to work. They talked about it, but nobody was uh, I didn't know nobody was questioned for it, or arrested for it or anything like that. They they had a composite pictures of, uh, like I said, the person posted on the bulletin board in the main lobby of the car plant, and probably in the truck plant too. I don't know. I never seen it over there. Knowing what you know now, tell
1: me what happened to the Marsh family.
0: It seems to me they were executed. Somebody went in there and killed them all.
1: And who are we talking about? Who who all were killed? Uh,
0: ben Marsh, his wife, and his daughter. There was a baby too, but the baby was not killed.
1: Yeah, a little a young daughter, right? Was killed the the child.
0: Yeah, there was a four or five year old daughter. She was killed.
1: The police would later say that they recovered your fingerprints off of a door outside that house. Are those your fingerprints? No, sir. How do you explain that?
0: I think that my came up my name came up while they were questioning other people for other crimes. And once they got my name and questioned me, they needed prints. I think the prints that they wound up saying that they found at the scene of the crime were taken from me in 1983 when I got arrested for the crime I originally got locked up for because I wasn't there. I didn't know Ben Marsh. I'd never been to his house. And uh, here's a funny story. I heard that a guy named Joe Perry got in trouble on a kidnapping and assault case. Him and his son got arrested. And he worked at the plant and knew all of me. We weren't friends at all. I didn't particularly like the guy, but he mentioned my name in order for him and his son to to get out of trouble. And the attorney that represented him was a guy named Anthony Moranto. And who do you think my attorney was that they gave me? Anthony Moranto. That's awful funny, isn't it? There's a lot. My whole case, from one end of it to the other, is uh, filled with such humorous facts as that. And notice how I say facts.
2: Now, there was a partially smoked cigarette found found in the house, the marsh house.
1: right. Do you smoke? No, sir. Have you ever smoked? Never have. So there's no no way there's obviously they didn't they didn't get you with any DNA on that.
0: They didn't get me with anything in the house. So they—they they say they found fingerprints on the back door, and they found footprints. Whose foot footprints? Did they? They never took my footprints. They even never even said the size of the shoe. They said they had footprints, they had DNA evidence, and they had fingerprints. But none of uh, none of that stuff was mine. All right, so. But answer this question. They took me back in 2009 to question me about it. How come they didn't bring me back and try me for four more years after that? Was that to get a set of of fingerprints from someplace? Or get some evidence from somewhere? Or to find some uh, other evidence? I mean... uh, they had arrested a guy.
1: We who we about Bobby Parks? Yeah. he. We'll, br- we'll get to him in a second. Let me, sure. Yeah, let me, let me just keep you on track here because I want to make sure we get everything in time.
2: According to the police investigation, Benjamin Marsh testified before a grand jury shortly before his death. Right. Uh, regarding a theft ring out of GM Lordstown. What can you tell me about a theft ring there?
1: Anything? No, sir. Were stolen items ever sold at the plant? Absolutely.
0: How do you know that? Because people ask you if you want to buy something, whether it's an air conditioner or a leather coat or anything you could think of, firearms, rifles, uh, drugs. There was always something for sale there, either in the parking lot or at the union hall. They had big sales, linen sales. Uh, they, they sold everything.
1: And, all right, now tell me,
0: who was Bobby Parks? All right. When I got here, I was assigned to work in a law library, and I worked with several other guys. One of them... Uh, was named Don Hall, and he sold in K-Block with Bobby Parks. And we worked together for a couple of months, and he come up to me and said that he knew Bobby Parks from Youngstown, and he heard that I, and he, Bobby Parks had heard that I was from Youngstown, and he wanted to meet me. So uh, we made arrangements to meet on the yard. So we talked and we had a lot of mutual friends. It turned out that Bobby Parks had once worked where I worked at Lordstown, but he left in 1968. And then it turned out that he was the best man at a good friend of mine's wedding, who was also the shop chairman of the whole union at Lordstown where I worked. So, uh, obviously, when Bobby went back to his block, he called home and asked about me from, probably called some of the people we talked about. And they told him what kind of guy I was, what kind of person I was. And then I went back and got questioned in 2009. And when I come back, I talked to Bobby Parks and he wanted to know what went on and I told him the whole thing. You know, and uh,
2: you told him that you were being questioned about the Marsh case.
0: Absolutely. And he said to me, he said, Jimmy, uh, if I knew that they were going to mess with you about the Marsh case, he says, I would have just taken out for it because they questioned me about it too. He says, uh, I'm already implicated in over 40 murder cases, 42 murder cases. He says, I'm not going nowhere. I'm booked solid. He says, I would have taken out for you. He said, that way they would have left you alone. And I first, I thought he was trying to be a decent guy until I went back for trial and I told my lawyer that there's a guy back there, who, and I mentioned his name, and he went and got his file and threw me his file. He said, that guy wasn't questioned for it. He was arrested for it. But uh, they let him go, him, his brother, a third individual named Ed Ferris from Youngstown, who was a ex-police officer. They were uh, all involved in, uh, they did a lot of, I guess, murders and robberies and different types of criminal activity. But... Uh,
1: did Parks...
2: Did Bobby Parks ever say anything about committing any other crimes? Did he ever openly talk about things like that?
0: As a matter of fact, I'm, his Sally is a guy in this institution who's seldom him for nine years. He said the FBI was constantly coming down here questioning him about unsolved murders and also unsolved robberies. And I know he killed a guy outside. He 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 went into a bar, this is the one thing he told me one time, he went into a bar and he knew one of the people that worked in the bar and this black guy was having too much to drink and uh, he was giving the girl a hard time. So Bobby Parks told the guy to break it up and uh, the guy quit picking on the girl and he could fight real good and he beat up Bobby Parks, guffed him up pretty good, and Bobby Parks went out, got his gun, and waited for the guy to leave the bar. And when the guy left, he blew his brains out, got in a car, and drove away. He never got questioned about it. It's an also, another unsolved murder. I'm, I'm sure Bobby had a lot of them. He told me his wife had testified against me. He went to kill this doctor in Youngstown. And the doctor lived but he killed a nurse, and he killed a receptionist. And they got. she testified against him, and they got him on that one. But he was implicated in many others. I didn't know much about Bobby Parks until I went back uh, for my uh, trial. And then I met a, a guy I was incarcerated with in a county jail his name was uh, Tucci, and he was a friend of Paul Parks, and he told me about Bobby and Paul and what them guys did. They were the murder crew in Youngstown.
2: This is a piece of paper, I can slide him, right, okay. So I'll pull that out, and what I have here, this is a copy, this is a, an excerpt, um, a partial. This is a partial interview transcription from Detective Frank Martucci with the Akron Police Department and Detective Dave Moore of the Copley Police Department, both working on an organized crime task force, interviewing the ex-wife of of Robert Bobby Parks on December fourth, two thousand one. Right. The ex-wife, who was at the time in witness protection, is referred to as Liz. Uh, if you would, could you read me that excerpt there?
0: Detective Moore now continuing Liz when you were detective when you when we when Detective Martusi and I had spoke to you last you had mentioned another conversation that you had overheard Bob make could you tell us a little bit about that conversation. Liz, yes, uh, he was telling, oh, he was talking to Paul about the guy. It was some guy, and somebody wanted that guy killed, and he went ahead and went in the house to go do it and, and waited. I guess he had watched the house several times, been over to make sure no one was there but him. (coughs) And the woman went back with her daughter after leaving the house. Maybe she forgot her purse or something and went back into that house, and by then Bob had already committed the crime with that man and proceeded to shoot the woman from what I understand and beat the four-year-old girl with the pistol the butt of the pistol of the gun okay do you remember an approximate year when you overheard that conversation 76 or 77
2: and the Paul that she's discussing there is his brother Paul yeah, Parks Paul. so
1: have you ever read that before? never what do you think about
2: that?
0: I think he killed Marsh and I think Marsh's wife come back and he He killed uh, the wife and he killed anybody who can can identify him. He didn't kill the baby because a baby can't identify him. And uh, I think when he told me that, he was being truthful. That he, uh, when he told me that if he knew that they were questioning or messing with me about it, he'd have taken out for it. You really believe that? Yes, I do believe that and he was arrested for That group of guys broke into General Motors' security office and broke into Ben Marsh's file cabinet and stole the murder file. The file was supposed to contain the people who were snitching to Marsh about drugs and crimes that were happening at Lordstown.
1: So. uh, And how do you know that about this file that was stolen? How do you know that? I know that because there's a gentleman that wrote a book about the whole case and I read the book. Was any, but was, that was mentioned Moran, your, your lawyer mentioned that in your trial, is that correct? Absolutely, yes. Going back to your
2: trial, What did you think of the state's case against you?
0: I didn't think they had a case against me. They said they had a fingerprint. At first, I I, I was told it was a smudge print. Then, uh, but they had no prints and no physical evidence, no DNA, nothing inside the house where the murder took place. But the place was full of prints and full of stuff. It was from people who lived there and touched things, and probably police officers and stuff like that. But uh, does it surprise me that Bobby and his crew didn't leave prints at the scene of the crime? No. Does it surprise me that my prints were found on the outside of the garage? Yes. The fingerprint expert, in my case, didn't even testify. He was dead. They had an officer, Fenimore, who was a rookie deputy. He testified, but he didn't know anything. He was still learning the job. His testimony was pretty well uh, covered by my attorney. But a lot of things weren't. I mean... uh, Bobby Parks, I mean, uh, a lot of people were not uh, that were on the witness list were not called to testify because they would not have helped the state. What would a Joe Perry said? He would have said he, he heard from somebody else that said he would have told you a bunch of baloney, a bunch of hearsay, and he wouldn't have not have held up good under cross examination since. He gave that information up when he was under arrest for a kidnapping and assault case, him and his son. The, the Youngstown vindicator in the news media crucified me before I went to trial, during the time I was at trial, and after trial. And what did they say? The prosecutor said the car their car was dumped a half a mile from where I lived in 1974. But I didn't move to Youngstown until 1976. I, didn't, I, I wasn't a resident there. She made it sound to the jury like I killed him, drove the car to the Kmart, slammed the door, and walked home. How did I even get to this crime? And not only that, the ballistics expert says that there were three guns that could have been fired at that trial, not one. That three people could have been there Bobby Parks, Paul Parks, and Eddie Ferris.
2: So you're saying, that, I'm going to go back and make that clear. You're at the car, Mrs. Marsh's car was taken after they were killed. Right. So the killer took the car.
1: And dumped it at a Kmart in nearby Austintown. Yes, sir. And in
2: your trial in 2013, the prosecutor said that you lived nearby that Kmart. Right. And that's
1: why you dropped the car there. Right. Does that, that make any sense? But that was
2: 1974.
1: Yes. And you, when did you move to that apartment? 1976. What was the apartment's name? Do you remember?
0: Westchester Apartments Westchester. in
1: Austintown. Okay, and
0: so. they could have contacted the phone company for when they installed the phone. You know, the apartment number was three twelve. I mean, what? What did your lawyer say in court? The defense went first. The prosecution followed up. He couldn't even he couldn't even question that when she told that to the jury in her closing arguments. He couldn't bring it up. That violated the rules of the court. I see. So the jury went to uh, decide the verdict thinking that I dropped dropped the the car was parked a half a mile from where I lived, which was false. So I'm
1: going
2: to ask you a few questions, and forgive me if we repeat anything here. Um,
0: You know, one thing else. Yeah. The person who stole the car was seen at Kmart and a person made a composite picture of them. That composite was published in the Youngstown Vindicator and a copy of that composite was what was posted in the lobby of Lordstown where I worked and in the truck plant, I think. But it was definitely posted in the lobby and it was not a picture of me. It was a picture of somebody between 40 and 50. I was 24, 25 years
2: old. What does it mean to you personally that you were not only accused of these killings, but you were convicted?
0: Well, I was already doing time. And when they take somebody back to court that's already doing time, it's, it's a slam dunk because... They portray you as a criminal. They tell everybody where you're coming from and stuff like that. So it's easy for a, ju- uh, a jury to jump from one crime to another. Oh, he's already killed people. So he had he might have did this. And he only lived a half a mile from where they dumped a car. Sure. It, uh... And another thing about the jury. My jury consisted of people who are related to police officers, FBI agents, uh, the uh, post commanders for uh, the highway patrol, and uh, victims of violent crime. Everybody on my jury was either a victim of violent cl- crime, or had a law enforcement background because they were related to a police officer, or an FBI agent, or somebody in the law enforcement with a law enforcement background. So
1: what, so, what are you saying?
0: What I'm saying is that. Uh, the average person on jury duty was not on my jury. They were hand-picked. They were, they were more willing,
2: you would say, pre, 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 predisposed to agree with law enforcement.
0: Absolutely. As a matter of fact, on the board there, they interviewed the, uh, one woman, and that's why I'm, I'm saying this, because I remember what he said. She said her husband was an ex-FBI agent and an ex a former air marshal, and her son was the post commander of the highway patrol. And if she was to give her, this was before my trial. And if she was to give an opinion on my guilt or innocence, she'd have to find me guilty. Now this was before I even went and they let her stay on the jury.
1: Wow. What does that say about your lawyer? I mean, do you, <laughs> do you how do you feel about your lawyer in that case?
0: I feel when I found out that Joe Perry testified against me and he represented Joe Perry, I found it very, very funny that he was assigned to represent me. Yeah, I'd, uh, he did file motions for acquittal and dismissal on four, at least four occasions, and I felt the case should have been dismissed. There is no evidence. I didn't do anything. They found there was no foot, they got a footprint where they kicked the door in. They didn't, what, what size footprint was, was, was that? Who did that? How come they didn't take my, how come they didn't say that in court? no fingerprints within the house, in the kitchen. I mean, if they're saying they described a bedroom, they had fingerprints on the door frames. Ben Marsh's paycheck was on a kitchen table where they said they found it, but they didn't find nothing of me in there. I wasn't in there. But they found three fingerprints on a door, forty-year-old prints that were degraded, smudged, and who knows if the fingerprint cards, if they, if they, if they could have done an analysis of the handwriting or the ink or whatever, could have, uh, could have, could have held up. I mean. The fingerprint expert, uh, like I said, they didn't have one because the person who took my fingerprints, and that's another thing. The BCI woman said them fingerprints had been moved four or five different times. How do I know they weren't replaced by my 83 prints, which I'm sure they were? Where else could they have gotten them? They had prints of me in the military. You know, I had all kinds of prints. I had all kinds of clearances. You name it. What did you do in the military?
1: Where'd you serve? where did you serve?
0: I was in Vietnam, but. Uh, in what branch? I was in the Marine Corps. All right, so real
2: quick, I, I, I got a couple more I want to get to. I'll keep you back on track here. Sure. What do you hope comes of this interview? I hope that they
0: look at this case and realize that there is no case and they either drop the charges on me or retry me and start questioning some of these witnesses. And not only that, fingerprints on the outside of a garage door don't constitute a murder. That doesn't mean that you murdered anybody. Those are not my prints, I didn't commit that crime. But what I'm saying is, how did they make the leap from the outside door to the bedroom or to the inside the house? Then explain to me why. Bobby Parks' wife is in witness protection and she testifies before the Organized Crime Commission that she overheard a conversation between her husband and her husband's brother, that he went to kill a guy, and the guy's family walked in on him, and he killed the guy's family. What other case is that? There's only one case like that in, what, 40, 50 years in Youngstown, and that's the Marsh killing. So they knew who committed the Marsh killing in in 91. Why even bring me to... 2001 in 2000 why was i even brought to trial cleaned up a 40 year old homicide sure you did
2: do you um you mentioned that with your first case you were eligible for parole after what 20 years i would have been paroled so if if they if you were to get a retrial in this case
1: yes do you believe that, I don't believe
0: they try me. I don't think there's evidence, there's no, there's obviously no witness. Everybody's dead. Yeah. There's no evidence of me in the, at the crime scene.
2: So let me ask, do you have any hope for parole?
0: Oh, of course I have parole, I did my time. I pled guilty at my hearing. Two guys tried to kill me. I killed them. I went. I went to court on it. I told them what happened. They found me guilty. They said I was. Suffer- I suffered from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. They said I was on a tremendous amount of stress. Stress, and I had a perfect institutional record. I'd have have been home by now. Or at least I would have had a very good opportunity of being home right now instead of going back to Youngstown on this baloney. And the thing about it is a lot of people in Youngstown know me. A lot of people in Youngstown know I didn't do this. I'm not capable of killing a kid. That's crazy. Nobody does that. That's sickening, but pro- professional killers do that, because kids can testify; they can they can pick out witnesses. All
1: right,
2: so I want to get to your first case, but sure. before before we do, what would you do if you become a free man?
0: I'm retired, I go on Social Security, and go fishing. Enjoy your life, huh? <laughs> What's
1: left of it? Forty years in prison. Where are you from? Originally? Yeah. Brooklyn, New York. And when what brought you to Ohio?
0: Well, school busing in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. I lived in Ridgewood, Queens. My mother had an aunt that lived in Mansfield, Ohio a small quiet nice community in ohio so we i moved in with her with her my family moved there where she immediately worked me and my brother as a slave but that's okay because it was nice there and then as i got older i joined the marine corps i got wounded in vietnam I come back. I got a job at General Motors, moved to Youngstown, met some people. I was pretty much a loner in Youngstown, too. I didn't, uh, I had a couple of girlfriends, but uh, I wasn't a party animal. I didn't get high, I wasn't a drinker. I didn't, I wasn't a social butterfly. I got a job in the union. I represented 160 people. And that's what I did. I worked a lot of overtime.
2: At General Motors, General Motors, Lordstown.
0: Lordstown, yeah. I bought a house for my mother. I looked after after my family and I was Moving out of my apartment, I moved in with my girlfriend.
2: Which apartment was that? Do you remember where?
0: Uh, yeah, it was Westchester, where I was, was living in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It was time I had been here long enough, and I was had uh, pits of depression, and I wasn't, uh, you know... And a couple of guys be befriended me when I got sick, when I was in the hospital. And when I got out of the hospital, I had pneumonia, which I caught from Al Alley's kids.
2: So real quick, I'm just going to speed you up because we're running out of time here. So right. tell
1: me, who are, the, who are these two guys you befriended? Joe Weeks and Mark Jennings, who both testified against me. Who were they, real quick? They were my co-defendants. Well, I mean, to you, before the case, who... Oh,
0: just Joe Weeks was a guy who worked with me. Where? At Lordstown. And Mark Jennings was a friend of his, a mechanic. Their, Their side business was dealing drugs and stealing cars.
2: Did you do drugs? No. So why hang out with these guys?
0: No, because Joe Weeks was a zone man in the union. I worked a lot of overtime, so I worked with a lot of guys, union guys. And what Joe did, Weeks was one of them. We became friends, friendly in the plant. And, it was, and quickly
1: walk me through, so what happened then? Well, they helped me
0: move, so now I owe them a favor. So uh, they were dealing drugs with their family in Columbus, Ohio and they got this bunch of cocaine on a consignment but they started using it so they couldn't return it and they didn't have the money to pay for it. So they thought about let's have a phony robbery and uh, they asked me to make a couple of phone calls for them pretending to be Uh, a person, and they were supposed to go down there and rob the guy, but they knew the guys who were robbing. Uh, It was Jennings' Jennings' cousin and Jennings' cousin's wife were all in on the robbery. So uh, they conned me into going down there. I knocked on the door. We already knew where the drugs were. Joe Weeks knocks me out of the way, runs in there, starts yelling at the guy, where's the shit, where is it, pretends to knock the guy down, and then he attacks the other guy. But the guy he pretended to knock down wasn't unconscious. Joe Weeks knew where the drugs were, so he kept asking. Were the drugs, and the guy he was slapping around wouldn't say nothing about it. So the, the other guy was signaling the other guy the drugs to where the drugs were. We already knew where the drugs were. So the guy sees the, the one guy signaling, and he knows it's a setup. So he's He's a karate expert. He starts kicking me and attacking me. And the other guy jumps on my back. Joe Weeks just takes the drugs and leaves. Mark Jennings never comes in because he didn't want to be recognized, his voice. So uh, I wound up shooting the guys and staggering out of the place because he had hurt me pretty bad. Next thing I'm in a prison hospital, being treated for my wounds, and uh, next thing I know, I'm being tried for robbery and murder. And uh, Joe Weeks gets a lawyer, and uh, he, his lawyer, they they put it on me. It's okay, I killed the guys, I admitted it and uh, I told him why, but the reason being is because Joe Weeks was supposed to go in there, We was supposed to take the guys and put them in the closet, close the door, get the drugs, and leave. But no, he had to do all this other shit. I hear he's dead now too, though. You can't can't use him either.
2: Yeah, the last one standing. Yeah. So, you admitted to that
1: crime?
0: Absolutely. Why? Because I did it. It was my, you know, the guy attacked me. He started kicking me. He kicked me in the head. He kicked me in the nuts. And the other guy was on my back. So, I had a gun, I shot him. Then the guy who was on my back, I shot him. And I staggered out of there.
2: Had you ever been arrested for anything before this? Never.
0: No no criminal record at all? No criminal record, no. So when I was 16 years old, I was arrested in Detroit, Michigan for criminal tools, possession of a crowbar, and possession of a pair of binoculars. They arrested me. They charged me. I got a $25 fine and let go. I'd never been involved in any criminal activity whatsoever in my whole life.
2: So I got to ask you, you you these guys help you move, you help them with this robbery. That's a that's a big step up. I mean, Yes, it
0: is. It didn't start out like that. Like I told you what it was supposed to happen. I was supposed to knock on the door, the guy was going to open it. Joe Weeks was supposed to run in there. We were supposed to put these guys in a closet, lock the door, get the drugs and leave. All they could say is they got robbed. But Joe Weeks wanted to make it look like they were really robbed for the drugs, so he wanted to slap them around and make them look bad the one guy was in on it the one guy wasn't the one guy that was in on it was signaling joe weeks where the drugs were and the other guy I've seen it so they went crazy
2: so okay so you 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 committed these you know these murders you killed these two guys in a drug deal gone wrong right. Dr- drug robbery gone wrong right you've admitted to it you pleaded
0: guilty right they gave me the minimum sentence they could give me under the law.
2: And you would be eligible for parole today if you weren't...
0: Oh, I been, was eligible years ago. Yeah.
2: So, do you have what, any
0: regrets? Oh, sure. I regret I ever met, met Joe Weeks. I regret that I ever killed two, two guys, two drug addicts. Who ripped off the drug dealer. Yeah, I
2: regret it all. So I asked you a question earlier, and, I, and I'm going to ask you the same question again. Sure. So what does it mean to you personally to be accused of, of killing the Marsh family?
0: I had friends out there, very good close friends. After that happened, they're no longer friends of mine. Because, you know, I was convicted. If they overturned this, These are friends who stuck with me during the first trial. They they no longer stuck with me during the second one. They would come back into my life. They would realize that I did not not kill Ben Marsh or his family. That means a lot to me.
2: Is there anything that you want to say that I that we didn't cover?
0: No, sir. Well, you and me have talked a lot, and you have done a lot of investigation based on st- stuff that you've uncovered. Do you think I killed these people? I don't. That's good, because I did...
1: Thank you, Jim. I want to thank you for your time. Yes. And please, real quick, tell tell me, you had surgery this morning. Is that yes, correct? Yes, absolutely. What What happened? What, had two teeth pulled here in the front. It's been very painful here too. Well, I, I thank you for for gritting through it. Well, I told you I would. I appreciate it, and Jim, I I appreciate your candid, you know, your your
2: honesty and
0: yeah,
2: and uh, and opening up and I, and. You know.
0: Well, you're from that area. Like I said, you will meet a lot of people who know me. They'll tell you all I did was help people. I'm not... I mean, unfortunately, I met a lot of disreputable people. And yeah, did I know they were just dis, disreputable? Yeah. I, ne- I met uh, Milano, Bill Milano. He threatened to kill uh, ben Marsh and he threatened to hit, killed uh, uh, Gary Bonnell the one who wrote the book and uh, he was a disreputable guy but I knew him well and I knew I met you know I met a lot of them guys uh, I'm sorry last
1: thing last thing here Jim there was a the, the daughter was killed the you're accused you're convicted of killing. Benjamin Marsh
2: his wife and the, and a four-year-old daughter correct there was a baby that was that survived that was not that was unharmed right they found in the the crime scene right that babys now got to be you know an adult and is almost 50 years old do you have anything to say to Chris Marsh
0: yes Chris I know you didn't testify at my my trial that you refused and i understand why but i didn't kill your family i want you to know that and uh, i think that bobby parks and and his crew killed them i think they were hired to kill him and i think they were hired because i think your father uncovered a drug trafficking ring in the truck plant and he was going to testify shortly against the people he thought were bringing drugs through the plant. And I think that's why he was killed. I think it was a hurry-up job. I think somebody was called on the phone and told him to take care of of this guy. right, Jim. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Not everybody's guilty.
1: You have an interesting life, mister.
0: Absolutely. I've outlived a lot of bad guys.
2: Keep on living. Hope so. Keep on living. Hopefully you get that parole, huh? Yep.
1: That was an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company. To watch with video, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash company. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a
0: review. It goes a long way in helping other people find our amazing content.